Let us turn to Ephesians. Continue where we left last time. Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll look at verses uh, 25 through 27 this morning. Or actually it's noon right now. Uh, I had the ambition last time to not preach too long. But it turned out to be 70 minutes. Even though I... I, th- I thought I'll divide this up in wives and then husbands so they will become a sh- shorter sermons. But of course, as you start picking apart or going through and things, it adds up anyway. So uh, continuing this ambition <laughs> to be short, I have di- even divided the husband's part into two parts. So we will just look at the first three verses in the husband part of the this thing that Paul says here but I'll read the entire from verse 22 down to verse 33 and then we'll look at the 25 through 27 I'll read wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The title of this message is The Christ-like love of husbands and the sanctifying power of Christ's love. We are in a section of Ephesians. As always, Paul's letters have a doctrine part and then an application part. Truth, the gospel first, and then how are we to live according to this? And in this smaller part, he is in a part of family life, talking about wives and husbands, and later on children and parents. We have looked at 
the submission of the wives last time, how wives are to submit to their own husbands, not to all men in the church or men in general, but in particular their own husbands, and that this is part of the picture with Christ and his church, where the wife in this sort of theater play an image of Christ and the church. The women plays the part of the church that submits to Christ the head and the husband plays the part of Christ that is the head that loves his wife as Christ loved the church. In the context of Christian marriage, of course, this is important. The world around us has a different view of genders today, especially today. Genders are said to be a social construct. The gender roles are also a social construct today in the minds of people. It is something that men through the ages have invented to suppress women and to gain power for themselves and exploit women. And while we don't can't deny that, of course, in a world that has abandoned God and his word, you will have perversions of the truth. And of course, this is not God's truth, God's uh, God's uh, intention with man- marriage, with genders, sexes, gender roles, is not to suppress women and elevate men. Rather, to love women and humble men, and also to help the men but not to suppress the women. There is one perversion, there is one ditch on the one side of the road, so to speak, or the one side of the horse to fall off on. And on the other side, we're getting to, there are no gender roles. Everyone is equal in that sense that there are really no differences between men and women. They should all be as genderless entities and find out in their own way, explore their own sexuality or gender identity and find them their own way no matter how they are born or created with in their body parts. So we have those two opposites where God's truth is perverted into patriarchy suppression of women which we can't deny has happened throughout history but now in our more modern age people have ran away and fell off the other side into non-binary beliefs but we have to stick to God's word we have to keep ourselves 
to what the Lord has told us in his word. That he has created man and woman. Male and female, he created them from the beginning. And that there are differences in their genders, in their sexes, and as well as in their roles in how God created them. We can see just from nature, God has given women the role to bear children. For example, that's a biological fact that can't be changed. You can't have say that men also can have the role of being becoming pregnant and giving birth to children. So even in the fact, the biological fact of creation, there is there are differences in the roles and how we function, how we act. God's word is our firm foundation, our truth. While the world is struggling to find its way, confusing each other. They don't know what to do, how to act. We don't have to be shaken by these things. We have his solid ground, his word, his foundation. And here here we're looking at the marriage and the roles within marriage. The Apostle Paul exhorts, Husbands here to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And here we will explore what this looks like. What are, what exactly is the, how exactly does Christ love the church? And how exactly are husbands to love their wives in this way? What are the implications for husbands especially? And for, I know there are, there are uh, other people here. We're not all husbands. We have wives, women, unmarried men, men who are, don't have believing wives. I still hope that this text and believe that this text does speak to everything, <coughs> to everyone. We look firstly at uh, Christ and his unparalleled love for his church. This love of Christ for his church is firstly a strong affection for his church. Christ delights in his bride, the church. He honors his bride, his wife, his church. And he seeks her contentment. And he seeks her pleasure. This is how Christ's, Christ loves his church. Firstly, we can see th- throughout Christ's life and ministry here on earth how he loved his church. How he loved his people. We read in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 1 and 11, about the wedding at Cana, where Christ turned water into wine at a wedding. 
First, his mother Mary comes to him and says that can't you do a miracle here because the wine is... We're running out of wine. Please, can, can't you do something? I know that you're the son of God. God has told me that himself. An angel told me that himself. So please make a miracle here and turn water into wine. Jesus first responds to Mary that it is not yet my time. My time has not yet come to start doing miracles. Thank you. It's not yet my time. But, and this thing, turning water into wine at a wedding, he does it. He turns the water into wine. But what, what is that? What does that have to do with anything? Well, partly it shows that he cares for his people. He wants them to be happy. Wine brings joy at the wedding. When the wine is depleted and they still have many days left at the wedding. Jesus does this. He turns water into wine, although it seems that it doesn't have any real spiritual significance. It might have, but this shows that he cares and Wants his people to be happy. Shows his affection and care for them. We have of course another, other things. We see Jesus and his compassion for the crowds. In Matthew 9.36. Where he sees this big multitude following him. And he shows his deep concern for them. For their well-being. Because they are as a sheep without a shepherd, like stray sheep, stray sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion on them. This shows his desire to keep them and to to protect them, to guide them. He wants to teach them and meet their spiritual needs. This shows his compassion. For his church. We have the parable of the lost sheep. That also is a parable showing his love for his church. That the hundred sheep, 99 came back and one was missing. And the shepherd went out to seek that lost sheep. There was a parable he told for his affection for every single one of his church, for every single one of his elect. To seek out and rescue every single one personally for each member of his church. He loves each member personally, individually of his church. And seeks to save them and delights to seeking out to rescue them. He cares for them, for each and every one of us. That is his, the depth of his love for his church. 
We see in John 20, 11 and through 18 at his resurrection, when Mary Magdalene comes looking at the grave and it's empty, he's not there. But Jesus comes to her and comforts her. He shows her honor and respect in her grief and also entrusts her then with the important task of announcing his resurrection to the other disciples. Here he shows his care for Mary Magdalene, how he gives her comfort and also entrusts her with tasks. His affection for a single person of his church. And of course, we have a lot in the Song of Solomon that shows how Christ loves his church. And I am in the long line of reformed men, godly men, like Charles Spurgeon, read, his, read what he writes about the Song of Solomon, who believes that that book is about Christ and his church. On the surface, it looks like it's uh, Solomon or someone and a wedding between a regular man and husband. But looking behind the scenes or going deeper, we see that this is a book where Christ, where is, Christ expresses his love for his church. It is a picture as all Weddings, marriages are a picture of Christ and his church. And this is a deep one, a biblical example where Christ expresses his love for his bride. We can read from Song of Solomon. And of course, the whole song could be read here, but we don't have time to that. Uh, but chapter 2, verse 10 and uh, to 13. Here we can see Christ speaking with affection to his bride. It says, my beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. And it goes on. The whole thing could be read, but let's stick to that part. Here we see Christ's strong affection, his heartfelt, cordial, deep love and affection for his bride, his church. What the names he calls her by, he calls her beloved, darling in some translations, beautiful one. He uses all these pronouns on her, his wonderful, 
how he views her, how beautiful she is, how she is his beloved. This shows how much Christ delights in her. And in her company, he says to her, come to me, come and be with me. He wants the company of his church. He desires his bride to be near him. He wants her to experience his love, his abounding richness of love and grace and mercy and compassion. It shows us, it illustrates how Christ is longing for his church. And we have to understand that. We have to get this in our minds. That Christ is longing after us. Christ is, just as we are in a small, smaller, more or less sense. Many forget it. Or lo- longing for heaven. For that consummation of the great wedding that we read about in Revelation, at the end of Revelation, the wedding feast of the Lamb. How we are longing for that, to get into heaven, to be with our Savior, to be with our Lord. We know that. We have to understand that He is also longing after His bride. The bridegroom says, come. And the bride says, come. That's how it ends in the book of Revelation. Christ is longing to be with us, his church. And he calls us by all these names. He calls us toward him with his love, with his words, his affection. He has an intimate and personal Love for his church. He wants to be intimate with his church. That's what the the intimacy in marriage is about. It's a picture of the intimacy of Christ and his church. It's not dirty, filthy things when it is in marriage between a married man and woman. It is a beautiful thing, a picture of his, the Christ and his church, their intimacy, the fullness of being close to each other, to really being in the presence of God and Christ. And he also delights, he also looks forward to that, he also longs for that. And remember that all these pictures we have here on earth, they are just bland. They are just shadows. They are dim pictures compared to the reality. The, the desire of the husband after his wife, the passion of the husband after his wife, that is, we, we men, we know how strong that drive is. We know how strong that is. That drive we have, that desire we have after our wives. That's just a 
shadow. That's nothing compared to the reality that is Christ. The reality that Christ is longing for his church. That's his deep affection for his church. And of course, then we have, secondly, the the sacrificial aspect of Christ's love. It is not just passions and emotions, but we have to look at that also. We have to recognize that also. We have to not just think in, in knowledge things or, or that. We have to understand that Christ actually has desire, feelings for his church. That he then acts upon that leads to this great demonstration of his love as he willingly gave himself for his church. Love your, your wives, husbands, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. His love led him to the cross to sacrifice himself for his people, his undeserving people. The, we, we can't understand why did Christ really love us that much. We were wicked and filthy and evil. We were his enemies. We were sinners. We went against him. We fought against him. We denied him. We rebelled against him. Yet... We were his chosen people and he, had, he knew all these things and there was nothing worth loving with us. Again, he should just have hated us, killed us right on the spot, sent us down into judgment and hell. According to his law, he should have done that. But in his great love and affection for us, that's based on himself and his own character, he still had such a deep and strong love for us that he gave himself. He wouldn't let us go into judgment, suffer our own punishment. He took that punishment on himself. And died for his church, his bride. What a selfless and self-sacrificial, literally self-sacrificial love he had for his church. And that's for us husbands to try to emulate We have the sanctifying power of Christ's love. He dies for her. And then it also talks about how he, his love aims at sanctification. The purpose of his love was to sanctify the church. To sacrifice, gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. We can see how different Christ's love is when we talk about the love between 
people and us. And You know, Christ's love is the love that sees wicked sinners, rotten sinners, undeserving sinners. And his love is that he desires them to be turned from being sinners to being holy. And he went to the cross to do that, to give them forgiveness, his own righteousness, to give them sanctification and to start working and transforming them to make them more holy. His sacrificial love had the purpose to sanctify the church, to separate her to himself, to purify her from all impurity, from sin. And Paul, Paul brings up this picture that baptism is where it is having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. We know that baptism is a symbol of what has happened inside. It is an outward picture of an inward reality that has already happened. Paul is not talking about physic physical cleansing and the apostle Peter also talks about the baptism how is how it is not a physical purification but it is a picture of that purity of conscience we have had our conscience cleared inwardly we have been purified inwardly by the word He is cleansing her, not by water, but by the word. And this is how we should understand this. He uses his word to sanctify his people, his church. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And in the same way, husbands... Or to emulate Christ's love in this way. As husbands we cannot literally die for our wives and their sins. We have our own sins to die for. But we have to emulate Christ and his love. His, his uh, purifying love. His desire for her holiness. Husbands are to lead their wives toward holiness. Just as Christ seeks to present the church to himself as a holy and blameless bride, so are husbands to lead their wives toward holiness. To teach them God's word by the word, purifying them by the word, by speaking to them. Some, some say, and it is true, that men, Christian men, you're not to take this passage and start commanding your wife to submit to you. Become like a military leader or commander that commands her that you have to submit to me because the Bible says so. Now sit or submit. 
It's not like that. But we are still, we should not go away from our responsibility to actually speak to our wives and teach them. Again, I mentioned the, the illustration with the pilot last, during the last sermon, the pilot who had his wife and they were flying airplanes together and this man had his wife with him on the, on the travels with the airplane. She was assisting him so that their flights would be successful. And he was the one who taught his wife to become a pilot. He taught her how to fly on a plane. I think it, it's a great illustration that the husband is to teach his wife with love, with care, with the aim to, for her to reach sanctification, to help her in her sanctification. We were also talking yesterday about... Uh, on the streets about discipleship. We as Christians are to disciple one another, be disciples, make disciples, disciple one another. But for husbands, our main disciple effort is with our wives. They are our, the disciple that God has given us first and foremost. We are to teach and disciple them, have Read the Bible together. Have family devotionals together. Help them. Not teaching them all the time that they have to submit or commanding them to submit. But as you teach them, his, the God's word, teach them about sanctification and yourself you also have to be sanctified. You have also have to work on your sanctification. You're working together. But husbands, you have the responsibility to teach your wives. This in, in some way how, how husbands... Our responsibility for their wives... They take the blame for their wives when they do something wrong. It's the husband that has to take the blame. This is the... We can move to our third part. How, how we love and nourish our wives. Beyond the feeling part. We have feelings for our wives. I hope we all have we desire to be with our wives. Sometimes we know it's hard, all the, everything going on, children and duties and everything, but we desire these things. We have to go beyond that and love them. Having mercy upon them, just as our wives have to have mercy upon us, but we even more because we have to love them as Christ loved the church. And there was nothing we did right. He still covered for us and took our blame and punishment. 